Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Today, I want to transition to a new series. We're going to be talking about something that I've had on my heart for a, for a few months now. We're going to be talking about something that most of you guys have heard before that I think is probably one of the most common prayers known to man. I hear it quoted by Christians and non-Christians alike. So many people know the verses and know the lyrics, but I don't know that our hearts have connected to what the words are truly trying to convey to us. And so today I want to read this passage. We're going to pray together and we're going to begin walking through line by line the Lord's Prayer. Is most of you familiar with it, I'm sure, but let's read it together. I'm going to be in Matthew chapter six. So if you've got a paper Bible, you can ruffle those pages and at least make me think you're uh, turning it. If you've got a, okay, Google, Matthew chapter six. Great. There it goes. I heard a couple other androids out there too. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter six. We're going to read the Lord's prayer together, starting in verse five. Going through verse 15. Um, Bruce, would you be able to follow along with me back there? Because I'm going to read it from here instead of changing it on the slides. So I'll start there. Here we go. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 9, Instead, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Would you pray with me today? Father, I just ask as we uh, dive into this section of scripture from uh, Matthew 6, that you would allow our hearts to be open. Would you give me the words and understanding that, that we need to walk out of this room with, that the Lord, we will not just be challenged, but we will be changed, we'll be transformed. As we look at the word, may it not just be that we walk away and have nothing that sits in our heart and changes us, but God, that we would become doers of the word, imitating Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen and amen. So as I was looking at this, this passage is, it's so common. How many of you guys have heard it? Uh, I mean, it's on TV shows, right? You'll hear people, they'll, they'll say it when they go, you know, sit down for prayer, you know, give us this day, our daily bread. But I think we've trivialized some of the words so much so that we've lost a lot of the impact and the meaning. And I hope that as we kind of walk through this, that we can gain some of that back. You know, many of us, as I said, you've heard it, and, and, and I think it's probably the, the most misunderstood prayers. And, and I want us to, again, look at the context. Let's look at what's happening. Here in Matthew 6, this is coming from a sermon that Jesus is giving. He's given a, di- a discourse up on a mountainside. He's withdrawn a little bit because he sees a large crowd, and he's given himself a posture and a position to where his voice can be heard. 
And this is where Matthew catalogs this prayer. Luke gives it a little bit of a different context, and I'll mention that here in a minute. But for what we're looking at, Matthew has a crowd around him, his disciples a little bit closer, and he begins to talk about the ways of his kingdom, the kingdom that he would establish, the one that literally would be upside down from what even the Jews were looking for, not anticipating that Jesus was going to establish it the way that he did. And so he begins to talk about the blesseds of his kingdom and what it would be built upon of meekness and peace and those who seek after righteousness and merciful. And so he begins to elaborate in chapter five and and goes into a discourse of teaching where he kind of contrasts the ways that you're used to in your religion to the ways of this kingdom. And here we see he's doing that again with, with ways that they were accustomed to giving. And he starts chapter six with giving And then he goes into prayer and fasting, all these different spiritual exercises, if you will, maybe even spiritual disciplines that we practice today. But he wants to rewrite the way that they've been approached. And I think he wants to do the same for us this morning, that if we'll allow us our hearts to be open, that I think he'll rewrite the way that we've looked at this. And I want you to look at verse one of chapter six, just to give us some context. Jesus saying, hey, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For guess what? You'll have your reward from your father who is in heaven. That'll be it. You'll have no reward. What what your reward will be is that people saw you. That'll be it. Your end game will be visibility. There will be nothing after that. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I know, I feel like I'm doing the right thing, but I hope I'm doing it for the right reasons. And, and I don't want us to necessarily stop doing the right thing because I don't think that's the answer either. But I want us to be honest and transparent before God with where our heart is and allow him to sift through the motives of our heart because that's what Jesus is after right here in this passage. And I love what he does. He says, he says don't, don't think that you need to stop practicing walking in righteousness at all, but rather don't just do it in front or to be seen. And that's what he says here. He says, in order to be seen by them, because then that's your reward. That'll be the end game there for you. And I hope that we want more than that. And I love what what Hebrews 11.6 says, that without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. When Jesus is talking in that sermon on the mount and maybe his disciples, maybe, maybe in Luke's recording, he's, he's with a smaller group. I'm not sure. Maybe he even talked about this, this prayer multiple times when he was asked about it. That's very possible. But one thing is, is sure that as he creates this context of, of that when you do something in secret not to be seen, when your motives are right, when your heart is in it for the right reason, there is a reward. There is this, this system of sowing and reaping. And it's in God's kingdom and it's in the world. We see it in multiple ways because he has developed this, that there are true rewards. And it comes that when we earnestly seek him. And I love is, is Jesus would add to this in Luke chapter 11. He says, if you knock, that door will be opened. If you seek, you will, you will find. And I think sometimes we, we miss the aspect of saying the Lord's prayer, but not realizing that 
God wants me to continue to diligently seek him, that there is something to be found. There is this pearl of great price that he wants us to continue to dig deep for, that we would give up everything else that we could gain in this world, that we might have him, that we might know him in his truest nature, getting rid of all the things in our heart and motivations that would hinder, that would cloud, that would allow us to see him for who he really is and for him to see us as we are. And I, and I want us to talk about some of the things here that, that Jesus addresses in the Pharisees that are not good practices in prayer. And before we do, look at this modern day version in this video of what we don't want to practice when we pray. Bruce, will you turn on that second, second one for me? Thanks. We Perfect. all know how important prayer is, yet there are a lot of people that get nervous about praying in public. And with good reason, you could really make a fool out of yourself. People will laugh at you. But have no fear, we've created a simple resource to help educate you on how not to pray. Just because the group is in a circle, doesn't mean they're playing Duck Duck Goose. Be on the lookout for little details that may indicate it's a prayer, such as someone praying. When someone is praying, don't stare off into space. Don't trim your toenails. And don't fire up a chainsaw. These actions are potentially distracting and may give the impression that you aren't giving the prayer your full attention. <laughs> the celebratory drop-to-a-knee prayer is really only cool after a touchdown. Laying hands on the sick is simply placing your hands on someone while praying for them. Your connected hands. She has fallen into sin in a big way when she cheated on her boyfriend with that football player. God, and we know that she's been to rehab three times. Saying amen after a bunch of gossip doesn't make it a prayer. So comfort Larry here with the death of his parents and his dog in a horrific unicycle accident. And for me, Lord, with this new car I'm getting, please give me wisdom in choosing the color. Try not to follow a major prayer request with something trivial. If your hands are extended towards someone in prayer, try not to pretend that you're shooting electricity at them like the Emperor from Star Wars. And I'd also like to pray for each of our 27 missionary friends by name. Your prayer shouldn't turn lunch into dinner. That's a miracle no one wants. If the good Lord wanted us to eat cold food, he wouldn't have blessed us with the oven. Nathan, will you please lead us in prayer? And don't pretend to have a heart attack to get out of praying. Demons out! Don't go to the exorcism prayer unless you are pretty certain it's necessary. If you make an effort to follow these simple steps, you should notice a difference in your prayer life, or at the very least, no one will want to punch you in the face when you say amen. I, I thought we covered this. Laying out of hands means, ah, never mind. All right, well. Just a, fu a fun modern way of, of looking at how not to pray, right? How not to pray. And we hope when you're in our life groups, that's not your experience, right? Uh, if they are, please come and talk to me. That is not what it was meant to be. Uh, so as we talk about here Jesus' description of the Lord's Prayer, he really spends these first few verses on what not to do. Before he even gets into the Lord's Prayer, and maybe even a better way of talking about this prayer isn't so much the Lord's Prayer, because I don't think this is a prayer that Jesus prayed. You know, forgive us our sins as we also, Jesus didn't need to pray that. Instead, a better way of talking about this prayer is the Lord teaching us about prayer, on how to pray. 
And so really, this isn't his prayer. This is him teaching us on how to pray. And so as we look at it, we see in verses 5, verses 5, I want to start right there. It says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Let me just stop right there. You know, for many of us, God is He's not the spiritual Santa Claus, all right? I, I hope that we don't come to him and think that, as I was kind of studying through this, there, there's so many different movements that we could talk about of name it and claim it in prayer, but yet there's also God's promises that we should stand on. There's these tensions that we've seen abused in, 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 in various areas, but, but God's not our spiritual Santa Claus. As we're coming to him, he's, you know who's going to be changed the most through prayer? It's going to be us. God's not going to be changed at all. The things that we're praying about may be changed, but more than likely, we're the ones that are going to be changing the most through prayer. And prayer is not our opportunity, as you saw here, uh, to gossip or to even earn these spiritual points as the hypocrites here that Jesus is talking about we're trying to earn by those that we're watching. And I want us to, to talk about how we guard our hearts of deception as we're approaching the Lord in prayer. Whether it's being self-deceived or thinking we can deceive others, this is exactly what Jesus is warning about as we approach God. And we see it in verse five that he says, when you pray, he's making the assumption that you're going to do what? You're going to pray. It's not an if, but it's truly a when in the Greek. It says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. He says, truly, I say to you, they have their reward. They have their reward. And so as I look at this, I think about the hypocrite. And I don't know if you're familiar with that term in general, but in early, early Greek, the, the term hypocrite literally just meant actor. In early Greek, it was just someone who acted and it was someone who, who would, would perform something that they had rehearsed, that they had prepared. But by the time we get to first century here, where Jesus is, is saying these statements, that, that kind of had morphed a little bit. The term had come to mean that those who play roles with the belief that the world is their stage. The hypocrite had come to mean a little bit more of the way that we view it today. But it still had this connotation of an actor with it. They believed that they were putting on a show, that they were acting, but it had this negative connotation by the time Jesus uses this, this word, is that they were acting, but only to think that the world was their stage and that they could, could perform somehow to deceive you and to believe that they were something that they weren't. And that's what I believe Jesus is addressing with us as we look at how do we pray and how do we approach God? Because I don't think any of us want to be any form of a hypocrite. I don't think that any of us want to approach and say, look at me, this is who I am, and, and pray in such a way that we think we're deceiving others around us, we're deceiving ourselves, or maybe even that we're doing things in such a way that, well, it's, it's really going to benefit the people around me anyways. What I'm doing is actually going to help them. They just don't know it yet. And so it's still in this, this, this mode, if you would, of, of hypocritical living. And I believe that when we look at hypocrisy, we look at what Jesus says here, about it in the verses prior when talking about the spiritual practices. And I want to go back to verse three here in chapter six of Matthew. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees what is in secret will reward you. He says he will reward you. 
And I think that's what is so powerful as we look at those verses is that what we do in secret is what he is looking to reward. And he's not, Jesus isn't saying, hey, to avoid hypocrisy, just stop giving. Or to avoid doing it for the wrong reason, just stop praying. All right, you're doing it for the wrong reason. You got the wrong heart. So just, just quit altogether. He's not saying that. Let me pull this up for you. He's saying, instead, let me sift through your heart. Give me what is inside of you, not just what's on the outside. And, and I think we, we ended up on this topic Wednesday night, which was really interesting. We ended up on the idea of hypocrisy. And what does that really mean? Do we think that we can perform one way before God and that others are maybe, oh, wow, that's really what they're like. Maybe they are spiritual. Maybe they do have a heart for God. Maybe they are a servant. Maybe what they do at church is who they are. Or do we think that we can go home and, and live a totally different way? That we can yell at our wife and kids, that we can you know, cheat and lie at work, that we can do whatever we want there, and then we can come before God and God doesn't know about that side of us. And it was, it was interesting as BJ and Don, we were all kind of discussing in our, in our group session on, on Wednesday night studying Ephesians, is that who you are translates to every situation you're in in life. You're not one person here and then someone else there. We're not segregated in our life. Who we are is congruent in every situation. We're the same person at home as we are before God. We may be self-deceiving ourselves about that. But God is saying, hey, take off the mask, let down the walls, and recognize that I'm more interested in your heart than what you're doing. I'm more interested in who you are than what you are practicing in your behavior. And, and I thought about this this week as, as I was talking with a friend. I thought, man, I was having lunch with a guy I work with. And when we got onto talking about parenting, and I don't know how we even got onto that topic, but he was just asking me about my kids and how I came to be involved in fostering and things like that. And, and um, as we were talking about just raising kids, somehow I got onto my whole philosophy of I am, I am less interested on behavior modification and more interested in heart transformation. And that's been so crucial to the way Candy and I have talked about our disciplining, that when we sit down, we use it as an, a real opportunity to teach the whys, not the whats, because they'll get the whats through the whys, hopefully, right? The why you don't hit your brother with that toy, right? Why do you not? You'll understand what not to do after you get the why. And, and I get this. Sometimes this is really tricky because I need Levi right now to obey just to save his life in certain circumstances, okay? I need him not to run into the street. <clears throat> I got an amen with the teenager, all right. So we're still working on those whys sometimes to save their lives. But the whys are, are really valuable in different seasons to just, I mean, the what's to just save their life, right? To protect them, I have to protect them. But I need more than just behavior modification out of my kids. I want them to become the people that God has created and destined them to be. And I think it's the same with us. Here, Jesus is talking about how we approach him. You're going to see him as our father, where he is located in heaven and, and observe his name for what it is. But before you even get there, before you even get to that first line, I need you to come with a heart that is ready to be transparent before him. Because Jesus is teaching us that one of the keys to even getting to prayer is not so much the form and the rote and the routine, but where is your heart in the process? Is your heart ready to be transformed? Is your heart ready to engage with the one that we're about to address as father? Because the rest of these words won't mean anything if the heart's not in it. 
And we would hear the prophet say this, Isaiah. He would say, your lips, they sound great. What's on them is the right things, but your heart is far from me. And Jesus would quote this from the prophet Isaiah. And I think he would say it to us again today in 2019 in the church right here in America, that your heart is still far from me. Boy, we're doing a lot of things that look right, but where's our heart in the midst of it all? And I'm not saying you gotta have it all together. Believe me, you know me well enough to know that I'm not looking for perfection and I don't believe our God is either. But he's looking to see is our heart congruent with what our words are saying. And he wants congruency. He wants us to be honest with him when we come to him. And the way we live across all spheres of our lives is who we are. And watch how much freedom we begin to experience as we say, God, man, you know what I'm struggling with at work. Not our father who art in heaven, God, give us today. No, but, but God, I, I need to connect with you. I'm not even sure that I've even been touching the hem of your garment here lately. You've been, it feels like everything is going crazy in my life. I just need to know that you're still close. That's our father who art in heaven. He wants us to come with our heart engaged, not with our behavior and rote lifestyle, looking like that we're doing the right things for the wrong reasons. He's more interested in that. And I don't know about you that Jesus isn't condemning prayer and almsgiving or fasting, nor is he forbidding what he goes on to talk about all these long prayers. But instead he's saying, hey, just come to me as you are. And I love what verse six says. Let's look at this. <clears throat> he says, here's what I want you to do. So he gives him a solution. He's like, I want you to find a quiet place. If, if you're worried about what others think, then I want you to, I want you to now remove yourself from where others are. He says, find a quiet place, seclude yourself. So you won't be tempted to role play before God. This is the message. I love this. He said, just be there as simply and honestly as you can. Focus will begin to shift from you to God and you'll begin to sense his grace. Isn't that good? I love what he says there. I'm gonna go on, verse seven. He says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. And in verse eight, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And there's, there's this idea that Jesus was addressing the Jews first about their hypocrisy of wanting to be visible. Because there were times that in synagogues, someone would stand in a model of prayer. And there were other times when they would uh, actually go into the streets and they would pray there. There were, there were reasons and, and there were times that those circumstances would be true. And Jesus isn't saying, don't stand, don't go to the streets and do it. Don't, don't see you at the pole, all right? He's not talking about, he's like, but put your heart in the right place. I'm more concerned of why you're doing these things. You want to be the one standing. You want to be the one in the street. You want to be the one fulfilling that so that people think something differently of you. You're trying to role play something that's not where your heart's at. He says, and your, your reward is going to be that they see you. You've got an audience, but it's not God. You've got one and your reward is not going to be in heaven. What you're going to get is what your reward will be. But there's a God who rewards those who earnestly seek him, whose hearts are in it because they want to know him, because they want to know him. And I love what R.C. Sproul says. It's going to be tiny, right? Because I couldn't get it on two slides for some reason. And so I'm going to read this for you. It says, 
Prayer does change things, all kinds of things. But the most important thing it changes is us. As we engage in this communion with God more deeply and come to know the one with whom we are speaking more intimately, that growing knowledge of God reveals to us all the more brilliantly who we are in our need to change in conformity to him. Prayer changes us profoundly. So as I look at this, I see God is wanting to transform something and it is going to happen through prayer, but it's going to be me and you. He is going to meet with us. He is going to encounter us. He wants to come and commune with us and things are going to be shifting in the atmosphere, the atmosphere of our hearts. That's what he's wanting to do. And he is trying to get us to a place where we can come to him now and understand him as our father. And we can begin to build on what Jesus will continue to elaborate as we talk through this over the next few weeks. But he's after your heart. He's after my heart. He is more interested in your why than your what. And that's what I want us to leave here today with. Understanding that God is after our hearts. He's not after the form or the method that we would follow, but he is after why we are doing it. And I want to tell you a little bit of of a story of, of my life when early in my faith, my family was, was very much into the spiritual disciplines. I remember just as a, as a kid, uh, you've heard it probably from me before. I had a calendar. I would mark it with an F if I fasted that day. I'd put it with an S on the calendar that day if I felt like I'd really failed God. Like I, I followed some routines and some disciplines, but they weren't always healthy in the outcomes of, of as far as where my heart was postured. And I remembered uh, being in my room one day and just thinking, God, Man, I, I'm, I'm pursuing you the best way I know how. But I'm afraid there's some things in my heart that aren't right in this process. And I said this to him. I said, God, I don't want to quit fasting and I don't want to quit praying. I don't feel like that's the answer, but I need you to sift through the things in my heart that I can't touch. Because I still knew that the fasting and the praying would get me to where he wanted me to be. It would put me in a place where he could transform me. But I had to be honest with myself enough to know that I was, I was doing some of these things and being swelled with pride. I was doing some of these things and thinking I was better than folks around me. I was doing some of these things and thinking that it was going to be what led to the spiritual transformation, not the one I was meeting with, that somehow I was playing that part. I knew that there were some things in my heart that the motives weren't right. But I was like, God, I'm not going to quit because I don't think that's the answer. I just need you to meet me when I'm here and change the things that are in there that I can't change. Amen. And I believe that's what God wants to do. He wants to meet with us. And before we can even learn again what it means to walk through the Lord's prayer, he wants our hearts. And so that's all I want us to think about over this next week. I want you to to decide with me that, you know what? I'm going to be the one who earnestly seeks him. And the reward is, is that I'm meeting with the one who knows me inside and out, right? Because I love that the Lord, he doesn't look at the things that man looks at. He looks at the heart. As David was chosen, that's what the prophet would would declare. Samuel would say, he looks at the heart. And above all else though, the heart is deceitfully wicked. We need him to sift it. His word will divide between soul and spirit joint and marrow, and he will begin to transform us from the inside out. This is communion with God. This is the beginning of knowing him through prayer. And I want to ask today, Bruce, would you come up and play just for a minute? I want to give us some time today. It's been intentionally a little bit shorter because it would 
not do us any good for us to talk about coming to the Lord and praying and, and how we commune with him and not provide an opportunity for you to, to, to be prayed for. And I know that there are some hardships that, that folks have been going through. You've been walking through some difficult situations and circumstances, and I believe the Lord wants to show up in a, in a powerful way this morning. So I'm going to ask Bruce, if you just play for a minute, I'm going to pray over us. And then if, if that's you, we just want to agree with you. We want to come together and just believe together for, for what God wants to do in and through your heart. Would you, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? God, this was so simple, but yet can be so transformative and profound. The Lord, you're just reminding us it's about our heart. You're after what is inside us. And God, this is sometimes what we like to gloss over. But Lord, we need you to show up in a powerful way to give us grace that transforms and empowers. And today I know there are folks that are just walking through a difficult time. They're trusting for uh, you financially. There's some, there's some health situations they're believing for in their family and friends. And there's others that literally are looking at addiction in the face and don't know how to break it. But today, God, you are here to meet with us. I believe that you're going to bring joy where there has been depression and sorrow and sadness. Lord, I believe that there is going to be fruit in people's lives today where there has been death. Lord, we're going to see things reverse. The doctors aren't quite sure what the answers are, and they're still kind of playing with the algorithms of their health. But Lord, you're going to say a word today. You're going to speak to hearts right now, and you're confirming some things that are being released in their mind, some heaviness that people have literally are having tension headaches because they've been carrying this for so long. Right now, Lord, you're going to release that off of them because you're a good God that meets with us. And you're gonna, you're gonna profoundly convince us that you are the one who can do all things that we can't. This is the good news. So Lord, thank you for being here. Thank you for reminding us that you are full of love and compassion and mercy, that you are just and holy. And we are approaching you today, God, with hearts that are open and transparent. 